Hi, and welcome to Leitrim Daily. My name is Brefney Early, and you are listening to episode 89 of the show. It's Kiss My Arts, and today we are talking about music, and specifically about the Ronan Gallagher Band. And I'm going to be joined by Ronan Gallagher today to talk about everything to do with the band, how he found his love of music late in life, and got into the industry. We'll also be talking about his new album, Always Broke, Never Broken. I'm going to take this opportunity now to remind you about our upcoming live recording of episode 100 of the show, and that is going to be recorded in the Glen Centre in Manor Hamilton on Tuesday the 8th of October. Tickets are €10, and all proceeds, all tickets sold, will go towards Northwest Stop, who do so much good work in the area of suicide prevention and positive mental health. We are, of course, recording and broadcasting the show in the middle of World Mental Health Week and it's also the build-up to the Leitrim GAA County Senior and Intermediate Finals. We know two of the teams taking part in the day after yesterday's victories for Glencar Manor and Drumcairn and this evening we will know who they will face in two weeks' time. If you're a fan of one of the teams taking part or just a football fan in general in the county there really will be no better place to be on Tuesday the 8th of October. It all starts at 8pm. It's in the Glen Centre and there's going to be some great guests. More information will be shared with you over the coming days. Check us out on our social media channels. But anyway, it is time to think about the main reason we're here today, which is, of course, to talk music. So, Ronan Gallagher, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, Prefney. Great to be here. Ronan, you've popped up so much on my Instagram and my Facebook feeds over the last couple of weeks and months since we've started the show. And the reason for that is because you're an accomplished musician. You've got your own band, the Ronan Gallagher Band. We're going to talk a lot about your music in the course of the next half hour or so. But first, I want to rewind to you and your childhood growing up in Muhul. And tell me a bit about the Gallagher family in your infancy. Yeah, well, my father was a vet in Muhul. He was known as Pat Levish Gallagher. My mother was Anna Rose Sheridan Gallagher. And uh, we lived in Muhul for many years. In fact, back then, there was a lot of... A lot of families living over shops and businesses in the town. There was a lot of kids on the street. I was actually remarking that last week, that there's an awful lot less on this, I see in the streets of our towns and villages now than when I was growing up. That'll give you my age as well. <laughs> but yeah, there were, they were vets there and we lived there for many years. You're one of nine kids. That wouldn't have been that unusual at the time. Not at all. No, no, nine kids. There was nine of us. And uh, in fact, if you think about it, there was nine of us and my parents, and we all fitted in 11 of us into a Volkswagen Beetle that my father was well known for having. Sounds, like the, sounds yeah. like the start of a, of a joke. Yeah, well, was, <laughs> we, we won't go there. So when did you leave Mohol? Because you left Mohol before you, you settled back here. I left Mohol about 16 or 17. I went to New York. and I worked there for a good many years in um, a nightclub over there called Wednesdays. It was a very well-known nightclub and um, very posh nightclub and actually made very, very good money as a tip, tipped waiter down there. I came back then to Ireland and then I sort of got into business for a good many years and in about oh, 30 years ago, myself and my brother opened a place called the Box Tea House. A lot of Legion people would be familiar with that. Um, and I was in that for quite a number of years. I've had a number of restaurants and cafes and stuff and then I got into film. <laughs> so when you say you got into film... What do you mean by that? I was always writing. I was always, you know, scratching stuff on the backs of envelopes from from when I was a kid. And 
I just took a Vigari one day that I wanted to start. I was big into films, and I believe you were as well. I love, love went to, if you were looking for me at the time in Dublin, in the afternoon, I'd be in the Adelphi or some of the cinemas watching a good film on for the 250 show. <laughs> so I decided to try and write a script, and I did write one, and I showed it to somebody that thought it was quite good. And then an opportunity came up to actually co-write a script of a film called When the Sky Falls, which was about um, the journalist Veronica Gearn. And I co-wrote that, and it was produced as a film. How exciting is it to go to the cinema and to see your name pop up at the end of, a, in the credits of a film that you've actually been a part of creating? It's, it's great, and they usually pop up for the writers at the beginning, <laughs> which is even, even better. better. <laughs> yeah, even better. <laughs> that's where the real uh, money is. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was fantastic to see it, and it was, um, it was just something I set out to do, and I did it, and people thought I was crazy, and I was out of my head, and, but I, I got it done. So I adopted the same policy with music. So let's fast forward a bit. You moved back to Mohol to raise your family. Yes. And uh, why would you choose to do that? Well, I loved where we live, a place called Loch Rin. Um, I always loved it there as a kid. It's where I went out to play and found solace and build my huts and all that and sort of carry on. So, and I just thought living in the country and rearing kids was a hell of a lot better than the option of the city life, which was very busy. And the life we had up there at the time was extremely busy too, you know. When you moved back to Mohol, what were you doing for work? Did you get work around Mohol? I was writing and I was making some films. Um, I did some films for Warner Brothers and I was writing other film scripts. And I was making films, um, local documentaries actually. I made one on John McGarren and I made one on um, a film called Spirit, which was uh, essentially just asking, I made that during the, the Celtic Tiger. And it was essentially asking people if they had a spiritual relationship with the earth around them. And it was local people that I asked. But yes, I, I, you know, they would be sponsored and helped by businesses and stuff. So you, you, for a while it was quite sustainable, yeah. In terms of your overall world, though, music has always been a part of your world. Music has always been a part of my world. We played, we had lots of music in our house when I was young, from Kjolthus Kjolthori, from Sean Arida to, God, Andy Stewart to all sorts of... Um, uh, the Clancy Brothers. But yeah, I, I think the first time I remembered or realised that music was also maybe artistic was actually twice. Once was on hearing the Playboy of the Western World by Sean O'Reilly, his version of it. Um, I remember that that just got me. And the other time, and probably the most strongest time I felt it, was when I heard Sgt. Pepper's. And that was because my brother, who was probably one of the biggest influences on me musically, back in the 60s, you wouldn't get too many fellas arriving home with a, an album from Cream or, you know, it wasn't, especially in, in County Leitrim and more, there was no record shops, there was no internet, there wasn't that much. But he was one of those guys, what I call it, like a, a muse or not. He went out and he discovered new music and he brought it back. And he would play it on the gramophone, the record player at home. And you heard it. And I remember we were in holidays in Innescrone and he came home and I got sunstroke. I'd been fell asleep on a beach and got an awful dose of sunburn. So I was bedridden for two days. But I remember coming home and I heard the familiar sound of the lid lifting off the record player and the thing going across and the of the sound of the, the playing of the record. And uh, on came this extraordinary piece of music. And it was the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's, and it was a song, A Day in the Life. And that's the first one when I think music actually spoke to me. Yeah. Talk me through that experience of, of how that song had such an impact on you. I began to realise the, the visual aspect of it, um, the intellectual aspect of it. I was only nine years of age. So, but those things hit me very strongly. Uh, music is a little bit more than just something you dance around to and uh, listen to. It's something you can actually get a feeling from. And even though the words are, <laughs> to a lot of people, still incomprehensible, yet we understand them. 
because they convey a certain emotion or feeling. And I got that at nine years of age. And to this day, when I hear that album, I'm transported right back to that room. Right back. That's now a good 50 years. So maybe that's where the storytelling aspect of, of the script writing would have come from. I think you're right. I think you're right there. Because actually, another one of my favorite tracks on that album also is uh, She's Leaving Home. Bye bye. What's that? I can't remember the name of it. She's Leaving Home. That's what it is. And it's a story about a young girl who. Um, wants to find a freedom from her, what she feels her oppressive parents, and uh, she runs off into the... I, I remember the sadness of that song, you know? Yeah, songs can really just hit you in the gut when you least expect it. Have you always played music the whole way through your life? I know. I'm not really... I kind of started... I used to... I could play... I could play... For years, I was stuck on one song I could play pretty badly, I hasten to add, was Donovan's... Um, Freedom is the word I really use without thinking. Uh, yeah, yellow is the color, was the song. And um, I could just play that. That was all I could play for years. Because I never bothered to try further and to practice at it. But about five years ago, I did. I picked up the guitar. And uh, it was a cheap Argus guitar I bought for the kids, actually, years ago. Small little thing. And I started playing that yellow. And then I tried to do something else and tried a few chords. And the next day, I did the same. And I kept at it for about three or four weeks. And then, I think it was the fourth week, I was in... Drummond Station, and I met a young fellow who was leaving his county club in his parish to head off to Australia. It was about four years ago, and um, he wasn't particularly happy about it. It wasn't. He wasn't. A, you know, it was just there was no work around here for him. And uh, I asked him. I said, you know, this time next week, where will you be? And he said, I don't know. He says, but I'll be long effing gone. But I didn't use that word in the song. So I actually was struck by what he said, and I wrote a song called Long Gone, which was my first song, in um, the car on the back of a bit of paper in the, in the car park of Drummond Railway Station. I'm standing on a platform, one way ticket in my hand, I'm leaving my own country for a distant land. You know, and that was about a, a, a young fella heading off. And then I went home and I said, I, have to, I had the words, and then I got a melody in my head. And that's how I used to write songs at the start because I couldn't play guitar. I would hum them into the phone. And then I'd have the complex thing of trying, it was a mess, you know. But I got it done. And then I went home and I started playing the the G and then I hit a wrong chord and the, oh, actually that's, that sounds good and I use that and if you ever hear Long Gone you'll hear that sort of riff throughout it and that was my first song and once I got through that I just said to myself Christ this is like writing a script except it's all in three minutes and you can have it done in an hour not, not six years <laughs> yeah Who's, who wouldn't like this <laughs> and potentially a bigger audience and, and more money as well yeah. and no you need no one's permission to do it you don't need to go into a guy in a suit who never made a film in his life or wrote a song in his life telling you no we don't want that or no you can't make that so, yeah. How important is that control and that independence huge, over your music? Huge, huge. No, no, don't get me wrong. That independence and control people mistake for. The independence is that I can write what I want and that I, you know, the control is perhaps over when the recording comes and the musical aspect of it. And you, you don't want to be too controlling over that because other musicians come with you on a band and they have a creative input. And if you're too controlling and you don't allow that freedom, then you're going to suffer. It's as simple as that. You can't suppress other people's talent. It doesn't mean that they all become, you know, the, the lead guitarist and suddenly you go out there like Jimi Hendrix or anything. But you allow people there. It's the same in film. Same when you're acting. When you're directing actors. You must allow them their creative input. And because your name is over the door, and those people's creative input will make your name look better. So what is wrong with you? I can't understand why people don't get that more. I just don't understand it either. I just, they, yeah, they don't understand the collaborative, collaborative process. It's a collaborative process. You need to, to sail a ship well. You need a full crew, fully on board, fully committed. And you need to be appreciative of it, you know? 
Oh, I couldn't agree more yeah. with you. In terms of the, the writing process, mm. uh, are all your songs written on the back of an envelope sitting in the car outside drum No, 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 that was, that was the first one. I know it's a cliche, but it was because I had no recording device and I, the words were coming to me. And I just, and still to this day, I could be in the car, I'll stop, and if I have, I've, I've torn off important documents and if I had my phone. Because as a guy I know actually from Mohol as well, Glenn Bowen is a rapper. He's a very interesting man you should talk to as well someday. Um, very good rapper, very good. Uh, and I'm not a rap fan, but when I heard his stuff, I was like, yes. In fact, I put backing vocals on a couple of his tracks. Um, he said to me once, he's more, probably more of a spiritual man. He said, but you know, they're, they're like gifts in the universe. And when they come, he says, you've got to act on it straight away, straight away, or they'll be gone. And he's right. The words come into your head. You think, oh, I'll put that down later. And you go to look for it. You can't find it. You just cannot. It's like, no. I gave it to you and you didn't. You, you know. can't remember what, what... Yeah, you just can't. Yeah, you lose so much. So I, my phone is full. It's full of thousands of little sketches of gobbledygook and lyrics and stuff, which I go back and look at all the time and see. It's a little mine for me, you know. Do you actually get results from that? Like, would you pick up your phone and listen to something you might have recorded a year ago? Once in a while, once in a while. Um, um, and I wouldn't necessarily do that as part of the writing process. I might just do it as a listening process. And it might give me an idea. But usually for me, the process is pick up the guitar, start a bit of a strum. No idea maybe what you're going to write about, maybe you have. Um, and I think actually often, often when you have an idea what you're going to write about, you don't write as well. It's weird, you know, you don't write as well um, until it comes out here. And then you say, oh, I know, now I know. in the middle of it, you know what it's about. Then you write it well. But if you sit down to decide, I'm going to write a song about immigration or I'm going to write about a song about lost love or whatever, it's not going to work, you know. But you know, sometimes in songs I will write, I'll actually, I'll create a character. I suppose that's the film bit of me as well. I created a character in a couple of songs called Johnny. And Johnny's always getting into different trouble from drugs or whatever. It's, you know, so, and people who know, who would hear me, my songs, perhaps at a live set, would say, oh, who's this Johnny fella? Because he's actually wrote three different songs. Um, but he's a character I've created out of a mix of people I have known. And uh, so sometimes you do that and you create a little story for them. I have a song I wrote once I was watching uh, those awful, awful, I wasn't actually watching it, it was just all in the background. Those, yeah, that's what we all say. That's yeah, those Virgin, Virgin 4 or Virgin, whatever they were, one of those, the crime shows, you know, these things about, you know, and they do it on the pretense of trying to find out what it's actually just a rehashing to make the families go through the whole damn thing again. But there was a woman on it and she was talking about how her daughter, who had been, it was an American thing, and her daughter had been killed by some serial killer. And she talked about, oh, my daughter, you know, she, the last thing I saw was going down the stairs. She looked so happy going out the door, blah, blah, blah. I remember thinking, God, that's... So I actually wrote a song called that. It's called Boulevard of Broken Dreams. And it's about a young girl and she's like that. And there was a hint that she was perhaps involved in something, you know, escorts or whatever. It's really, I don't really know. But I, kinda, I, I wrote a song out of it um, because I think it was the emotion of what the mother was saying. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So that's that you know that's what gives you the the, the, the 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 right to get lyrical and poetic. Well, let's have a bit of music from you. Maybe you might uh, introduce a song that we could play for our listeners here. Absolutely, I think perhaps uh, the opening song should be the first one, uh, "Long Gone," which was again, as I said, a song about immigration about that young man I met in, in Drummond Station, and was written in, in that in the cliched form on the back of a bit of paper in a car in the car park of the station. So "Long Gone," I'd say, would have to be the, the first one. Alone. 
train pulls from the station and gathers up some speed. I look out from my window and watch my life retreat and I'll be gone. Absolutely beautiful run. It's amazing to think what can be done literally in sitting in the car and just it becomes that beautiful piece of music. Yeah, I, that's the extraordinary thing is it transforms from your head <laughs> onto a record. You make the intangible tangible. It's, it's weird, you know, but yeah. It's, and I suppose that's what separates us from all the other creatures on the planet. Now, of course, it's not just one song that you wrote. You have produced your first album recently. Tell us about the stages that got you from just picking up a guitar, strumming along, writing the first song, to actually being in a studio recording your first album? It was, a, it was, well, the process was rather simple in a way in that I practiced every day. When I got that first song written, I practiced it very hard and I started to write some other songs and I found the more I practiced and the more songs, the more chords I found, the more I learned, the more songs I wrote. I've actually written over 150, 160 songs by now um, because I write, try and write every couple of days. It doesn't mean I'm going to write a full song on that day, but quite often you'll get a song out of it. So I kept on the song. I built up enough songs. I had actually 30 songs written by the time, a lot more than that by the time the album came to record. Um, so I spent a few years in different bands uh, for the first two or three years. We played locally, had some great gigs, had some great musicians with me and had some great times. Um, and then those bands sort of faded away, lads moved off or had to go to different places or whatever. And I eventually then, about a year and a half ago, I met Mark Geegan and he's, he's the man who produced the album. And that was a game changer for me because I, he introduced me to a lot of great musicians as well up there, up in Bundoran. And Bundoran being an entertainment town, it's full. Donegal is extraordinary for musicians and indeed for music lovers. It's where Charlie McGettigan got his yes, first exactly, break. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and it astonished me. There's, there's more venues in Donegal than there are in Dublin, I believe. It's extraordinary. And there's a lot of music lovers. They like their music up there. They like their country. They like all sorts of music. There's bands up there who are doing very well, electronic bands. You know, it's great. So I met Mark up there and I met all those musicians. And I kind of went up onto a different level. These guys had been, you know, doing this for many years. And he believed in the music. And that was the first thing that, you know, once he said, I believe in your songs, uh, I said, okay. <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> But um, also what I liked about it was that I began to understand, I didn't really understand the process of what a producer was in, yes, in film, but not in 
the recording process. I didn't quite get what that was. But of course, like in film, it's the same thing. He produces the album, and that means he or she will help you with the creativity of it. And you know, for example, I would have never thought of putting brass on I Won't Do That. That would never have occurred to me. And when he said to me first about what about a bit of brass on this? And in fact, Mark didn't suggest it. What he did was, as all good producers... He just he, did it. He put it in. And he didn't do it, you know, like he's done a fait accompli. He just put it in and said, listen to that. And when I heard it, I said, holy crap, wow, wow. I was blown away, blown away by it. So I thought to myself, I fully trust this guy now. And you need to be, you need to have developed that relationship with your producers and with your musicians. You need to allow them the creativity to bring to your party their work and their creativity, which only makes you look and sound better. So if you don't understand that, you, you, you're, you're, you're going to be hammering against the wall. This idea of how I control my own music and I control it, how can you control a creative musician? How can you ask a creative musician to sort of suppress their things? Now, they may come up with ideas that you don't want, don't they? but you let them have their, have, their, have their way. Apart from the fact that it's respecting them, it's also giving that they may... You know, people don't understand that. I think it was... The, one of the police songs, it was Andy Summers was the bass player, whatever the bass player was, he came up with dun 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 giant steps are what you he came up with that bass line. That's when you hear that bass line, everybody hears that on the radio. Before the song starts, you know what song it is. You know what's coming. He did. And because he was given the freedom to do that, and they were smart enough to say, Yeah, that's that's Apparently he didn't get a credit for it, though. <laughs> he was pissed him off no end. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll do that to a creative yeah, type all yeah, right. Yeah. Let's have one more piece of music, and you have just mentioned the single, so maybe we might, might go with that if that's possible. You might introduce sure. it first. Yeah, the single's called I Won't Do That, and it was actually one of the earlier songs, too. In fact, all the songs of this album are, are my earlier songs. Um, it was a song, I suppose it was a response to when you start music at middle age at 55, and particularly you have no history of it, nobody has any recognition of you ever been playing or singing publicly or singing it publicly, even your own family, you do get a bit of a, holy crap, what's what's this? Oh my God! I think there was a thing running on Coronation Street. Somebody told me where one of the characters of my age apparently did the same thing to great failure, and you know, was a laughing stock sort of thing. So people thought, "Oh my God, this could be a car crash." Well, but people like a good car crash, so they do. it's probably good for ticket sales in the first yeah, ones. Yeah, exactly. I'm getting up playing music, and people are like, going, "I'm going to see just how bad this is," yeah. and then they're pleasantly surprised. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, then hopefully, you just put my, when I get up on the stage, I don't want people to be pleasantly surprised. I want them to go, "Wow!" <laughs> I want to blow them away, and I'm known for that. Like the our gigs are live energy. They're sort. I fairly spit out the songs when we're on the stage. So listen, introduce the the song. Things called "I Won't Do That," and it's for all those people who thought that I should have given up. There's many people who say that thing to him, but I won't do that, our single. I've been around for many years, I've lost some things and shed some tears, watch the love light dimming in your eyes. I've done some things, I've got them wrong, well I'm not proud, but I'm still strong and no. Get me wrong. Together for 20 years, shared many 
joys and many fears Now you tell me that you think we're through You think that I am not that strong Telling you that you're so wrong And no, I won't do that No, I won't do that Don't you get me wrong song it's great to see the, the creative process coming into fruition but one of the biggest problems people who have that creative talent usually have is the business side of whatever industry it is they're in whether it's art or music or drama and actually just bringing in enough money on a daily or weekly basis or monthly basis to pay the bills and to sustain life putting an album together and the cost of recording the cost of session musicians all of that is a very expensive process how did you manage to gather the funds together to do this? Because I know you did something a little bit unique. Yeah, well, there's two things. One is that the album's titled Always Broke, Never Broken. And that's actually a shout-out to all the musicians and entertainers and people who pack their cars full of gear worth thousands of euro to get 50 euro for a gig somewhere 30, 100 miles away. Um, and it is true in the music industry in Ireland as well. Still, there's a lot of musicians who are still struggling. It's up and down, you know what I mean? It's up and down. And uh, you, you get a lot more return on money that you put into arts than you do for lots of other industries. And we should always remember that. But apart from all that, um, what we did was I, fund, I got a, a funded campaign together. Um, now, the first thing about the business you have to say is that you, you, you need to understand that the social media is a hugely important platform, particularly for musicians and entertainers. It's how you get your name out there. And you need to engage with that. You need to respond to all your listeners and all the people that I respond to everybody. That, that And I have a lot of people on my social media and I, I try to get to every single one of them to, to respond to them. 
And the reason for that is that those people are engaged with you, they're, they're, they've bought into what you're doing, they believe what you're doing. So when it comes to a thing like, for example, making an album, and you don't have the money to do it because it's just, you know, it's very, very difficult to raise it, you do a funded campaign. And if you have built that relationship with your fans and the people who have been engaging with you and have been discussing and communicating with you over the few years, they will help you. And that's exactly what happened. We were oversubscribed within a week of our funded campaign. Um, three and a half thousand euro we raised. As I meant, we were able to pay recording and it's an expensive business, as you say, and get some CDs printed. And we were, we sent the CDs then out to people. So they pre-bought CDs, some people. Some people pre-bought gigs. Um, but mainly it was CDs. And well, the gigs is interesting. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, we, we, the two people bought, bought gigs. We, there was a, for 500 euro, you could book the band for personal parties. Two people have done them. They were going to be done next year. Um, and that was fantastic, and they, you know that was really good. And they did they do that because they'd heard about the band and they'd heard about us. So and they were doing a gig anyway, so they just thought, well, yeah, you know, I'll support them. And uh, of course, they got an album as well. They got a few other goodies as well, not just the gig. Well, no, it's a brilliant idea in terms of when you've got that credibility with your community or your audience that you can say you get these perks yeah. in return for support now for something in the yeah. future. Yeah. And so rather than you having to. Uh, go to the expense and the the personal risk and the investment yeah. of of producing an album or producing a show and then putting it out there to see what happens. You get social proof before you actually go into the studio. So you sell, say, your album is I don't know ten ten euros for example on your on your thing, or usually it's a bit more because yeah. people are supporting you as well. It could be fifteen or twenty euros to buy the album in advance. Yeah. Um, they get a copy of that, maybe a signed copy, before it comes into exactly. the shops. Yeah. And so they get a little bit of a, a personal connection and then they get to buy. And I, I obviously have used that mechanism myself in terms of my cycle and my book. Yes. And hugely successful, uh, purely because people want to be seen to support something and get in at ground level and be, and not just say, I bought your album and I supported you, but yeah. I made that happen. Yeah. I was part of the reason how you managed to get into the studio and make that piece of music. Yeah, and that's something you should never forget either. And that's why I say, but you always keep in communication with your people. I, as I always say, I, I, I sometimes feel like a bit of Barry McGuigan, thank you, Mr. Eastwood. But I would always say thanks. And, uh, you know, it's just a thing I learned, a bit of manners and a bit of respect for people who are, they're like your customers in a way as well, fans. They're people, you know, if, if you were selling records in a shop and they come in, you'd chat to them, you wouldn't ignore them, you know. So I think it's communication. You just, you know, that's, and I think musicians and bands need to, to really understand that. Don't just put up your album and hope that the world is going to find it and come to your door and make you suddenly, uh, you'll be on top of the pops next week. That's not going to happen. You need to work at it. I put a lot of work into what I do, and I'm sure you do as well. And I know a lot of musicians who are gaining traction. I am at the moment doing quite well. You know, I'm getting more and more likes every day on my page. My music is getting more and more listens on Spotify. But it takes time. You need to build and build and build and keep at it. And that does take time, effort, and it doesn't require money. It just requires your time and effort and your phone and your laptop to sit down and do it and do, get on with it. People are very reluctant to put time and effort into things nowadays without a guaranteed direct return for that time and effort, though. Yeah, you see, I'm 60 years of age. Failure for me is not an option. <laughs> in terms of the musical process, which do you prefer, between the studio recording, jamming with your, with your musicians and your band, or do you prefer actually being live on stage? Live on stage. I mean, I, I like the recording process, I do, but live on stage for me. The energy, not just with the audience, which is fantastic, and again, that's another aspect, but the energy with the other musicians. There are oftentimes I'm playing and Mark would have to give me a kick because I'd end up like a punter. I could be listening to the guitar solo as if I was one of the audience, and I have to remind, remind you, sing! You know? <laughs> but I, I love that. I love the fact that I do that, and I pick up on that energy. And I, always, I would always say to the musicians after, especially after a good gig, great guys, I was buzzing on that one. 
And there is an energy that goes on. I used to hear that before I ever stood on the stage, and you'd think, that's so pretentious nonsense. No, it's true. There's an energy between you, you and your musicians, and there's a huge energy between you and your audience. And if you're only playing to two people, in, and believe me, I've done it, uh, if you're only playing to two people, and one of them is tapping the foot, I'll concentrate on them. They'll become my Glastonbury. And that's how I perform. I'm sure it's the same for footballers and things. You decide you're, on the, you're in the game now. You've got to give it your full whack. There's no, there's no holding back. It is, of course, called the Ronan Gallagher Band. How many members are in the band? At Full Tilt, we are nine members. We have a brass section, three brass. Um, yeah, we have nine <laughs> at Full Tilt. So in terms of the politics within any group, like if you have three or four people in a band, we've all seen whether it's Oasis or other bands that come and go. Simon and Garfunkel only had two and they won't play together again. But in terms of how do you keep nine people happy, particularly when it's your name over the door, and your name on the poster, like, how do you manage that as a, a band leader, for want of a better expression? I think they say that, what was it, Roosevelt said, uh, speak softly and walk with a big stick. <laughs> no, I, I'm in charge. No, no, that's not the way it is at all. We meet, we play, um, we don't have a lot of friction because we, everybody's there to do what they're to do, and it's all about the music. And a lot of the guys I'm playing with are seasoned musicians. They've played with the Henry, you know, they've played with some serious musicians around the place. Um, so they don't have egos, they're here to do the music. They may get upset if you're, you're up and you sing out a tune, which thankfully I have never done. Um, or if you're not practicing, or if you're not, you know, and that's very legitimate to be so. It's about the work. But no, I don't, we don't have any problems. I get on very well. We don't see ourselves that often. We're not living in each other. It's not like the Oasis brothers or anything. And musicians, if they're treated with respect and, and their creativity is respected, then why should they have a problem with you or you with them? I think the respect thing is important, not just in music, but in all walks of life. With all walks of life, yeah. without question, to respect somebody and to thank them for their services when they give them, particularly if they do them really well for you. That, that becomes a thing that, for me, it's the most important thing because that's what makes the work better. In terms of performances or gigs, anything planned coming up? We're actually playing in Bennigan's, the legendary Bennigan's in uh, Derry, which I'm really delighted about. That's a great venue, legendary music venue. Um, that's Saturday the 28th of September, which will probably have happened by the time this goes out on air. But um, I'm really looking forward to that. That's, uh, that's, been a, that's actually been a goal of mine to, to get to Bennigan's for some time. I know you don't play locally that often, but you did have a gig earlier in the summer in Drumsna. How does it feel like to be in the local area in, in Leitrim and, and actually performing to a Leitrim audience? Yeah, I did it for the, the Leitrim Subacquat Club, the Dive, Dive Atlantic, Jerry Gilroy and the people there. It was fantastic. I loved it. And we got a great reception there. Um, there's a good feeling to it. I mean, I played for the first few years around these parts, but of course, with the, the, the band the size I have, you're not going to get playing in a pub. But I am now looking at doing um, here, perhaps around here, is to do home concerts in people's houses. I'm thinking strongly about myself and getting the guitars to call vocalists to accompany me. And we go to your house, you invite 10 or 15, 20 of your friends and into your living room and we play a little two-hour set for you. Um, so that's the way. I mean, you have to think about ways to try and make a living as a musician. Um, and that's the way people would probably prefer to do in midweek in their home, you know, from 8 to 10, have a few guests around and a few glasses of wine and go home for people like that but also I'll be having putting a four piece or five piece band together so I can play a few pubs around here as well because I love playing I mean so I mean if, if it's only with two people or four people or the full band of nine I still want to be up on the stage playing not necessarily and not in fairness because you want people looking at you saying oh look at it one just I enjoy it it's a bit like a footballer likes to play football it's just you know I'm sure people understand that who, who have hobbies and things Absolutely. Well, listen, we've run out of time, but we do have time to squeeze in one more tune. 
maybe introduce a, a final song for the show? Yes, this is also on the album, uh, Always Broken, Never Broken. It's called Shine. And it was kind of a song about, partially about being low and down, but also about looking for the music. Music, it's one of my earlier songs again, to sort of shine your light on me, as the song goes. Um, it's, it's one of my favourites on the album, actually. And the slide guitar on this is, the guitar song on this I just love. It's played by my producer, Mark Geegan, who, as I said, has been a huge influence on me and a huge help to me to get this this thing off the road so before we just finish with the song remind people the name of the album is Always Broken Never Broken where can they get their hands on it uh, the album is called Always Broken Never Broken and you'll find it at www.modalcitizenrecords.com or if you go to my Facebook page uh, the Ronan Gallagher Band or Ronan Gallagher you get information there as to where to get it it's also on Spotify Apple Music and iTunes but of course, Spotify doesn't quite pay as much as when they buy it for, on iTunes. So support local music and get out and buy the album. Ronan, thank you very much. You might just finally sign off with an intro to the song. Yes, this song is called Shine. It's on our album, Always Broke, Never Broken. And it's a song about hoping that the music would shine upon everybody.
Shine! 